Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles, open your Bible app, Daniel chapter 3. We are carrying on our Christ Before Christmas series. We've been just looking throughout the Old Testament at moments where like, all right, so after creation happens, and even before creation, what is Jesus up to? Does Jesus just become Jesus at the incarnation at Christmas that we're building towards? Or is there something going on in the world with him before? And we've been seeing him showing up in the lives of people throughout the Old Testament. Now, I know some of you are very linear. I am too. And you heard me say Daniel, and you know that's in the middle of the Old Testament. You're like, wait, are we skipping some stories? Yeah, we're skipping some stories. We might come back to them. We'll see, but there's a lot more stories than we have weeks until Christmas. I don't want to stress you out, but that's like three weeks away. So we got we to gotta jump around a little bit. So we're in Daniel chapter 3, and, and just by way of kind of background, what happens, what brings us up to this moment in history? This is after, so we, we left, last left the series with God, Jesus, wrestling Jacob, changes his name to Israel, blesses him, but touches his hip. Israel has 12 sons, they, the youngest being Joseph. And the country of Israel, the nation of Israel, is kind of started. They end up in slavery down in Egypt. Moses helps bring them back through the power of the Lord. And then Joshua, and they take this land, and they get their own kingdom. David becomes king, and it kind of goes downhill from there. At the end of this kind of time period, the kingdom splits in two. Israel splits in half. One half falls, then the other half falls. So we're picking up around 600, 605 B.C. And what happens in this moment is there is a new king across the desert in Babylon, modern-day Iraq, that comes across the desert and takes over Jerusalem, sieges the city, captures the people, and takes some of their top young leaders back to Babylon to retrain them. Daniel, who writes this book, is one of them. And you've probably heard the names of some of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are brought back in captivity as well. Now let me pause. I know you've heard this story probably a dozen times. But there is so much goodness here that we've got to see as Jesus comes to interact with his people in one of the most trying times they have been through, right? This is not something that, not a a moment that, a pressure that I regularly face in my life, but we're going to see God show up for them in the same way that he still shows up for us 2,600 years later. So, In Daniel chapter 3, the king decides, I'm going to set up a monument in my honor. And not only am I going to do that, but you are all going to worship it. So he builds a statue. It's not probably not a statue of himself, just based on the size. But it is about the same height as the Christ the Redeemer statue, the big Jesus that stands over Rio. If you know that one, this is a really tall, but it's much skinnier kind of statue, and he sets it up right in the middle of the city, right in the area where everybody is able to see it, and says, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to gather all of the leaders together, and we're going to play some music, and we're going to worship 
this statue. We're going to celebrate how great of a king I am. He has no issues with pride. Don't worry. It's not, not a problem for him. He gathers everybody together. We don't know Daniel is absent in this story. Don't know. Away on business, but we know he'd have been in line with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego based on chapter 6 and the lion's den and all of that. But in this story, he's not there. Uh, In verse 5 and 6, let me kind of catch up to how this works. They say, as soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, and other instruments that I don't even know what they do, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And he starts immediately immediately starts with a threat. Verse six, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. This is what evil does. Evil loves to play the bully. Evil loves to threaten and shout and stamp its feet and say, you're gonna do this or else you're gonna pay. He says to all, like, these are the people who are directly under the king. These are the people who lead the entire country. These are the best of the best. And he says, you're going to bow down and worship, or else you're going to be put to death. This is how evil loves to lead, is through threats and challenges. This is not how God ever leads his people. God doesn't lead through fear and threats. We'll see how God leads in a moment. I'm going to skip a few verses because they kind of repeat everything again. And the moment happens. They blow all the instruments. They, they, the, the team gets up and they make their music and everybody bows down. It's a open plane with a giant statue sticking up. Everybody is on their face except for three dudes just standing there. They have to be there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, although they are Jews, they're Israelis, they were captured and brought over to become kind of servants in this area. God's been so faithful to them that they've been raised up to be, they oversee everything in Babylon. We see that in, in verse 12. They get told on. They got some friends who are not very good friends. They, they, they go tell on them to the king. They say, King, there are, verse 12 of Daniel 3, King, there are some Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. These are high up guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. I love how they describe them here. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Say, they're not like us. They aren't doing what you've commanded them to do. They know that they serve a higher king than the king of Babylon. They know that they serve a king who says you can't worship other idols. You can't worship and put your trust in other things. And so they've chosen to say we're going to stand against what the king says. No matter what happens, verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and he said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the instruments and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. He repeats the threat again, and then look at this next line. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? 
he sets up a direct challenge here with God to say, you're going to do what I'm saying and your God is not going to have a word. He's not going to be able to do anything. He's not going to be able to protect you. He's not going to be able to save you. This king knows that because he's already captured their city. He's already destroyed their home. He's already won the war against God. And he's the toughest, baddest one around. Nebuchadnezzar knows that he can do whatever he wants. What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Are you sure, guys? Like this is the moment where the judge gives the defendant the opportunity to speak, and he said, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to, like, man, just a little bit? Do you want to say anything? Like, they say, no, we're good. We try, I, I, I try to put myself in this spot, and I can't imagine having this level of faith. I love it. It's inspirational. It's really cool. But I'm like, I could give you eight excuses right now, guys. I can give you some that are probably not good. Probably shouldn't preach them. Won't help anybody else grow closer to faith, but it'll keep you alive. Like, this is a real threat. This isn't like an empty threat, right? Like when the parents say, like, you better behave or else, and, like, they know they're going to cave, but they're just, don't do that. It's not a good way to parent. But we all, like, sometimes you're tired and you just fall into it, and it's an empty threat. This is like, he's going to do it. And they could make excuses. They could come before God and say, God, you have given us too much to handle. God, I can't be expected to do this. This is going to cost me my life. It's like, God, listen, like, all right, let me bargain with you, God. You ever been there? You ever tried to bargain with God? God, I don't really mean it, but I have to do this to get through. God, in order for me to survive, you love me, right? You want me to survive? I'm going to have to compromise a little bit here. But God, I promise afterwards, I'll set it right. All these moments different times maybe in, in your past where you've, you've just kind of rationalized something a little bit. You're just, in business, God, this is just the way that it's done in 2023 in, in Florida. Like, you just kind of skirt the rules on this a little bit. I got to make my profit here. Uh, don't worry, I'll tithe on it. But I got to make my profit here. Like the, it could become so easy to kind of justify something when, the call of God is often really clear in our lives to live with integrity, to live in the right way. So you say, but God, like, like you don't understand. Like it's just a culture now, like we just, we move in together before and we, we, we don't worry too much about, you know, some of these kind of religious rules about marriage and all like, God, we're just, like we're, we're, we're committed to each other in our hearts, God. It'd be so easy to kind of make some excuses sometimes. And I'm, I'm, I'm right there. Like, I'm looking at these guys like, that is insane. Like, it's awesome. I, I wish. But I don't know that I have that level of expectation that God's going to show up. But they do. They say, King, we don't need to defend ourselves. Look at this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, is verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing service, 
furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. They trust, they believe, but not only that, and he will deliver us from your majesty's mighty hand. How do they have this kind of faith? All right, pause, okay? Because again, we're 2,600 years away, okay? We're in Florida. It was a little humid out this morning, and some of you were frustrated about the temperature. And by some of you, I mean me, and maybe some of you. And we're already like a little like, it's too hot. These guys are before the king. That furnace is like right there. All right, like this is not like a just like, oh yeah, probably not. Like this, they feel the heat coming off. They feel it from the furnace. They can probably see the heat in the king's eyes. And they say, one, we don't need to defend ourselves. But two, we know the God we serve is able to. And three, in fact, we know, king, that he will come through. Because every step of the way in the past, they've seen God come through. When they were teenagers, and they're probably at this point maybe 20, 23 years old. They were, when their city, Jerusalem, was besieged and captured, they were probably the age of some of you guys over here, our students in the front row. That's how old they were. And when their country is captured... And they're led across the desert. And in that moment of siege, I bet they would be able to look and say, God was there with us, even though it was difficult. And as they're led across the desert, God provides for them, even though it's difficult times. In Daniel chapter 1, you see God show up in a great way. It's the only other place where their story is told. And they're with Daniel in chapter 1, and God provides for them. And this is where he raises them up. They've seen throughout their lives that God has been faithful. And this is what gives them the trust in this moment. It's to say, if he's been faithful every step of the way then, then I trust he's going to show up today. You have that kind of history with the Lord? I hope you can look back and be able to see the moments where God has faithfully carried you in your life. Because that's the only way you can get to this spot. What happens is is they say this thing, right? They say, we know that the king will, or that God will save us. But I love the next line, that it switches. It switches from just something we know God will do. We know he's able to save us to a heart thing, a relationship thing. A, that he will deliver us. We know it. It's one thing to know, right? You know this about faith. It's one thing to know the right things. It's one thing to know some Bible trivia and Bible answers and and details about the Bible. It's one thing to know them. It's another thing for them to mean something in your heart. It's one thing to know how God is, to know the character of God. It's a whole other thing entirely to see God's love and care at work in your life. That when you get to see that God cares deeply for you, it'll change everything. Right? When I, when I mentioned the, the fear piece here, right? That, that the king is threatening them. You see it here again. And, and it's easy to threaten and, and kind of, uh, if, if you're a parent, maybe you've raised your kids with a little bit of fear. And that's a good thing. 
Okay, what I'm going to say is, is I'm not, I, I, let me say it this way. This is how we raise our kids as well. This is how I was raised, was that I was afraid of getting in trouble. And for a season, that controlled my behavior, right? There were times, mom, cover your ears. There were times where hanging out with friends and, and whatever, joints being passed around or whatever, and I'm like, uh, nope, I'm out, I'm good. Solely because I was afraid of getting in trouble. I guess that's a good thing you could have listened to. Solely because I was afraid of getting in trouble. But here's what changes, right? As you grow up, you learn that fear might control decisions for a moment, but it won't control them for your lifetime. Fear will control how you behave for a moment, but a relationship with the Lord will keep you on the right path for your whole life. Because you begin to see that the penalty isn't always as bad as what's promised. Now, it's a little weird to say that in this moment for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because, spoiler alert, the penalty is as bad as was promised. But in our lives today, fear only works for so long. As you raise your kids, as you speak into the lives of your grandkids, like, you've got to raise them not to just know what's right and wrong, but to have a connection with the Lord that will determine how they stand up when the pressure is all around them. Because you know, in your own life, it's still, the pressure is still there. It doesn't matter whether you're 14, 44, or 74, the pressure of life sticks around you. And what determines how you follow the Lord is not your fear of getting in trouble, but your relationship with him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are able to look backwards and say, we've seen God love us and care for us all the time. And we're going to trust him again. We're going to trust him again. We know that he can show up. But, 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 let us give a little bit more clarity in verse 18. King, even if, he does not show up. Even if God doesn't save us, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not, we will never serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. They said, even if God doesn't show up, we're going to stand because we know that he is good in our lives. We're willing to give everything because we trust uh, maybe, probably, let me say, I know for sure, none of you are leaving here today with threats that you're going to be thrown in a fiery furnace, right? That's a little less sure than I thought you'd be. Okay. Uh, see, Terry, one of our safety team on the way out, if you are concerned, we'll, we'll find you some help. Uh, we don't live under these kind of threats, right? But I just, I just try to think like, think through some of the weights and pressures, and you, you could probably get to them in your own, your own head of thinking back through your own past years or two. I, I want to go backwards in a year to 2022 and just share some of the pieces of pressure that my family felt. Early on in the year, my daughter uh, fell at school and broke her wrist. Not a huge deal, and, and you know, every kid breaks a bone here or there, but comes with, you know, there's an added medical bill. To that. 
My brother thought, well, or her brother, I did that first service too. Her brother thought, well, I can't be left out of this. And two months later, flipped his bike and broke the same wrist. Like, kid, do we need the extra? Like, come on, man. The car that we had been nursing along for years that my wife and kids no longer felt comfortable driving in because they didn't think it was safe, finally died. We'd saved up some money, but still we end up with a car pay. I'd been saying, I'm going to drive this thing till the wheels fall off. And that's what actually happened. The, wheel, the front wheel fell off in the parking lot one day. Whole thing just broke out. Had to replace the car. It's another bill. It's another thing. We, uh, we were blessed to get to go with Pastor Kim and Jamie to Burundi, uh, Africa, for some missions work. But right before we went, I tested positive for COVID. And that's a, a country that tests you when you come in and tests you when you leave. And so it's like, ah, what do we do now? Like, if, uh, if I test positive, do I just, like, get thrown in Burundi jail for a few years? Like, I don't know what happens. We... we said, all right, we're going to follow you, God, if this is where you're calling us to. I said it was 2022. You might have forgotten, but there was a storm that year. A big one, yeah. That was, that was some added pressure on our lives. And to top it all off, we had a really rough low moment in our family when we got a cat. We got a cat. Different moments, all right, maybe not that one's not quite as bad for me, not quite as bad for the rest of the family. Different moments of pressure, and like that's thousands and thousands of dollars added into 2022 that we were not expecting to pay, right? And so then the question, the, the pressure becomes like, all right, we've got to pay all these bills, and we're supposed to tithe and give, like, I, all right, God, I know it's pretty clear what your word says, but like, have you done the math? Because I have. That's going to be really difficult. What do we do when the bills mount up? What do you do when God gives you clarity? All right, you're going to go do this, but you know it comes at a cost. Right? God doesn't lead lead us through fear, but that doesn't mean that following him doesn't require risk. Following him always requires us to take some risks to trust him. And if you just know What's right probably won't take the risk. You probably will hold back the checkbook and not live generously. You probably will find a way to skirt around the rules. But once it becomes a relationship with the Lord, where they're able to say, we trust him. And even if he doesn't show up, we're still going to praise and celebrate him because we know he is good in our lives. That's where everything changes. And I wonder if that has changed in your life yet. You can imagine the king is not too happy in this moment. They said, no, we don't even need to defend ourselves. We trust God. He's going to show up and save us. In answer to your question in verse 15, what God will save you? Our God will. Thank you very much. So he has this furnace heated seven times hotter than it was. That's verse uh, 19. Verse 20, he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up. 
Like they are not getting out of this. It's so urgent that they tie them up with all their clothes on. Like normally there'd be like a whole prison sentence and all that. No, verse 21. These men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent. The furnace was so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took them up there. And these three men were thrown were tied, that were tied up, were thrown into the fire, fell into the fire. They pay the ultimate price here for trusting in God. Now, I know, you know the end of the story probably. They don't. They don't know what's going to happen in this moment. There is this powerful tension at work of what's going to happen if I trust God here. You've probably felt this at moments in the past few weeks of your life. All right, if I trust God, am I going to get through? If I trust the Lord, okay, maybe you, we're in church. I know you're not going to, you don't want to admit it, okay? But there have been some moments, there have been some moments in my life where it's like, God, I'm tired, I'm cranky, I don't know if I want to keep going on this path right now. Like, it's hard sometimes to follow what the Lord calls you to. It's difficult. It brings up some fires, and they are thrown in to the fire. But they don't go through the fire alone. They don't go through this trial by themselves. They don't have to bear the pain of this fire alone. They are met in the fire. Verse 24, King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Just happened like 30 seconds ago, dude. You don't remember? Hold on, let me check my notes. Yeah, yeah, we threw three guys in. They replied, certainly your majesty. Verse 25, he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. That's his description. This is Jesus, Christ before Christmas, in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? God was not caught off guard in this moment. Let me tell you that. It wasn't like Christ before Christmas, what are they doing before incarnation? What's Jesus doing in this moment? He was not sitting on the couch with the Holy Spirit and God, kind of, you know, working out elbow room, eating a bag of chips, waiting through the commercial, because that's how it would happen if you're watching this on TV, right? They fall into the fire, commercial break to build up suspense and to sell you new cat food. They're not sitting there like, oh no, what's going to happen? They're not biting their nails, worried. They're not like, figuring, like, oh, hold on, pause the show. All right, huddle up. Let's make a plan. What are we going to do for these guys? How are, like, they're not concerned because this is not a surprise to our father. He knew where this was going. He knew what was going to happen. And I know the easy question is, why would God allow something so difficult like this to happen to these good guys, right? Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Because God has a bigger plan 
at work than just what's going on in this moment. And God's not caught off guard, right? You can look at it that one way. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? But I think, I think if afterwards you were to ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they tell you this is a good thing. Because a bad thing, when God shows up, turns into a really good thing. They get to see the favor of God. They get to walk around with Jesus 600 years before he's born. Well, how long have we been in this series? Since the beginning of October, we've seen a handful of people get a moment like this. It comes at an ultimate cost for them. But difficult moments that happen in our lives, when we get to walk through them with Jesus, become a good moment. They become a moment that we get to celebrate because we saw God's faithfulness at work in our lives. Because we saw God show up. Look, the king says, I see four men walking around in the fire. These three guys get to spend a few minutes with Jesus. They get to see the reward of their faithfulness. They get to see the fruit of their relationship with him. And I can't promise you, because I don't think this has ever happened since, uh, that if you just trust in God, that you will physically get to walk with him in your days. Can't promise you that. But what I can promise you is that he will be with you in the storm is that when you stand and follow after him, that he will be there. And a, a contemporary of them, a little bit earlier than them, uh, the, the prophet Isaiah, and I think it was chapter 43, says, I have called you out by name, and I will walk through the fires with you because you are mine. God promises that he will be with us in the middle of our most difficult moments. And that changes a hard time into a celebration moment because you get to see God at work in your life. Look, the king says, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. We see from the the next few verses that none of their clothes burn up, not a single hair on their head gets lit on fire. They come out of this moment, the king calls them out. They don't even smell like smoke. They're all good, except one thing changed. Remember before they were thrown in, the king had them tied up by the strongest, most well-trained men in the army, and now they are unbound. The only thing the fire destroys is that which the enemy had put on them. When you walk through a fire with God, it is not just a moment to see his faithfulness, but it's a moment for him to destroy and take away what the enemy has sought to put on you. It's a moment for him to free you from the bonds that the enemy has tried to tie you up with. That in those most difficult moments, you get to see God at work and he will heal some of the misbeliefs or wrong beliefs that you have about him. You'll see his faithfulness. You'll get to see him show up in ways that you could have never imagined in your life and learn new things about his character, his love for you, his care for you. 
And I know you could look at this and say, well, yeah, sure. Like that's like Old Testament. That's like really good guys. They lived great lives. They earned God's love here in this moment. But in verse 26, the king in the middle of it, he says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And then I want to jump down to verse 28. The king says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. What are the qualifications that they had that allowed God to show up in their lives? It wasn't the family they were born to. It wasn't the Bible knowledge that they had. It wasn't how good they had behaved in the past week. It wasn't the way they dressed, the race they were, their age, their gender, It wasn't anything that they had done. The reason God showed up there is that they were his servants. They were his kids. They were people who had said, all right, I give up control of my life. God, I want to be yours. End of qualifications. End of qualifications. That means that this same God who heals and saves them will do the same in your life. Only qualification is that you say yes to him as Lord, is that you sign up to say, all right, I'll be your servant. I'm in. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you call me to do. I'm going to be who you call me to be. It's never about how good you are. It's never about earning it with God. It's never about any of the other external trappings that we try to put on. None of that matters. What matters is that these are God's kids. So if you've come in here today with a weight, not being good enough, that's a good story, Jason, but you don't know what I've done, where I've been. You don't know what happened last night, last week, last year. You're right, I don't. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You get the opportunity today, right now, to come to God and say, I want to be with you. And he says, great. I've wanted you with me all along. I've loved you since before you were born. Psalm says. And we get to then have him with us in the fire. Because what I know is that following him, being obedient to him, being his servant, does not exempt you from the fires. You will face fires in your life. The only question then becomes, will you face them alone? Or will you let Christ be in them with you? Because he wants to be in them with you. He wants to walk through those most difficult moments of your life. We're coming up on this Christmas season, and I know it's lovely, and it's full of joy, and it's too hot to actually be Christmas down here, but we're here. This is where we live. I know it also stirs up a lot of emotions, memories of loss and pain that you've felt at different times, and as we walk into this season, you don't have to carry those weights alone. You get to walk through them with Jesus. He's faithful in the storm. He's faithful in the fire. One last thing before we close, because I cannot skip this. Do you remember verse 15? In verse 15, uh, 
the king kind of re- recovers with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what's going to happen? They're going to be thrown into a furnace. And then he says, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Do you remember that challenge? All right, look at verse 29. This is after, obviously, they've come back out. He says, therefore, I decree that any people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. Okay, so he still has some ways to go. All right, he's, he's, he, there's, some, some level, there's some things that need to change. He's got some character to work out. Be cut into pieces, and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. Dude, we've just seen he doesn't need your defense, but okay, we'll give you that because, because for no other God can save this way. In 14 verses, he's gone from what God can save you from my hand to no other God can do what's just been done. There is nothing in this world that you could put your hope and trust and faith in that will ever get you through. You can't be smart enough, good enough, strong enough, outwit others enough. You can't work hard enough, dream hard enough. You can't find enough of the right people to put around you to support you. You can't be in a good enough family, have the right things, earn enough money, get the right deals, have the right relationship to ever have the safety and hope for the future that you can have with God. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that will ever care for you the way that God will. There is nothing that will ever bring you the hope and peace that God will. There is no one that can love you enough and bring enough joy into your life to outbalance what God will do for you. No other God can save this way. He gets it right there. He has screwed up this entire chapter and the next chapter. That's coming. But he gets this one sentence right. No other God can do this. And if there are things that you've been trusting in, other than God, it might be time to put them aside. To throw them into the fire, if you will. And say, I'm going to put my hope only in Jesus. Because he's the only one who will walk through the fires with you. He's the only one who will walk with you through every difficult moment. So we're going to close in prayer right now. And, and you know, that, that call to be his servant, maybe that's not something you've ever answered. Maybe you've never said, given, given a moment, taken a moment in your life to turn over to him and say, all right, God, I'm in. I want to be one of your kids. I want to make that change. And so as we close in prayer right now, I'm going to invite you to, to say that prayer, say a prayer with me to kind of make that change to give control of your life over to him because no other God, no other thing, no other plan, no amount of money can care for you the way that God will. So join me in prayer as we close. Lord, we thank you that you are so loving. Jesus, that you would go into the fire with them and into the fire with us because we're your kids, because you love us 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would raise up that level of faith within this room and online today. Lord, that each that are listening would know that you've got them, that you're there with them. Father, I know there's so much, so many weights, so many pains, so many burdens throughout this room, throughout on our, our, our people online. And we just say, Jesus, come. Jesus, come. We need you. We look to you. <laughs> and we're, we're just awestruck that you show up and care so good and so deeply for us. So, Father, let your hand be in this room in these next few moments. And if you've been kind of going your own way and, and you need to make a change and say, all right, I know I need, to, I, need to become, I need to get in on this. I need this God who can save, who goes through the fire. I want to walk with him. I need him with me. Then I want to encourage you to say a prayer like this with me right now. Whether you're online or in here, just say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I don't want to walk alone in my own strength. I want you to be Lord over all. Forgive me for times where I've done it my way. I see that I need you. And it's just in a moment like that, a prayer like that, where he's right in the middle of everything you've got going on to walk with you and to carry you. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.